Hello and welcome to the 2019 Hoover Institution Palm Beach Conference. I'm Chris Dower, Hoover's Director of Marketing and Strategic Communications. Our speaker in this podcast is Herb Lynn, the Hank J. Holland Fellow in Cyber Policy and Security at the Hoover Institution. The title of his talk is Cybersecurity and Public Policy. It was recorded on March 20th, 2019. One, one thing that's uh, rarely said in these introductions uh, is that uh, I, I'm also a former hacker. Um, and, and I haven't done any hacking in many, many years. When I was doing it, it was not even illegal. Uh, and, and, and so I'm, I'm free to, to, to say that now. But that background actually gives me some, uh, some way of understanding what goes on in, in, in cyberspace. And security in cyberspace is what I'm supposed to be talking about today. So I wanted to go through uh, some of that uh, for you. Uh, if you thought the last talk was depressing, I want to be I want to see how you feel at the end of this talk. Um, these are some of the issues that policymakers face today, and this is a, uh, by and large, a, uh, a nonpartisan, uh, nonpartisan issue, um, as far as I can tell. I have a joint appointment uh, between Hoover and CSAC, and they have somewhat, you know, sort of opposite political leanings in, in certain ways. But it's been a great home uh, because cyber is not particularly partisan issue. Uh, so uh, these are some of the things that people worry about. Uh, catastrophic loss of, of, uh, of infrastructure, like all the lights go out. And they not, that they, not that they just go out for a little bit, but they stay out for six months. That would be a real disaster. Um, low level attacks on uh, infrastructure that have very, uh, you know, that have very large effects. For example, if you could hack the election infrastructure, that might be a big deal. All you have to do is really seriously hack it in one state, and you can flip the results of, a, of an election. Um, there's lots of, there's sort of a cybersecurity tax on the economy. None of us like taxes, but there is a tax on it. It's the tax that you, you pay because you have to worry about cybersecurity. I mean, how many times have any of you just fumbled around, just screwed around with your computer because you forgot your password or something like that? All the time that you spend getting your computer to work because your security system keeps you out of it. And I don't know about you, but mostly when I, I, I must spend the equivalent of probably a full work day uh, every year just screwing around with my computer security system because I forgot a password or, or something happened and I have to correct it. And if you're doing better than I am, I want to know your secrets. Um, uh, and then there's the, the fact that people don't go into certain business markets because they're afraid of security. They deny themselves the benefits of, uh, of, uh, of technology because they're afraid of the security risk. Now, sometimes that's a good, you know, that, that's, there's a, you know, that's a rational decision, but that is a, uh, a loss. Um, and we're, nobody's really much interested in treaties in cyberspace except the, the Russians and the Chinese. Um, we much prefer a uh, sort of establishing behavioral norms. Uh, sort of our, our, our previous speaker talked about, first you want to want it. Uh, first we want to have people who want a set of norms to govern behavior in cyberspace. So here are some of the, the policy issues that people talk about in, in Washington. Uh, there's critical infrastructure stuff. There's your personal infrastructure stuff, right? Your medical records, uh, your cars, your home. Um, you know, recently, well, within the last couple of years, there was somebody who demonstrated the ability over the internet to assume control, full control of a Jeep Cherokee. 
okay, on the highway. Okay. It was a controlled demonstration, but the, 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 even though the person who was driving it was, you know, knew about it and so on, you can read, read his report about it, he was absolutely terrified because nothing worked. Sped up, slow down, brake, turn right and left, it was being guided by a remote control camera. Um, really scary. I mean, imagine what happens if you're driving and your car, which now has 300 computers in it, is now taken over by somebody remotely, sitting in an office somewhere. Okay, it's, a, it's a very scary video. Um, and then your homes, right? Your homes now have, are, are increasingly going to be internet connected. I mean, in five years, you will not be able to buy a refrigerator that's not connected to the internet. Think about that. And some years ago, there was an internet-enabled thermostat that crashed, and people in winter could not heat their homes because the thermostat had gone down, system bug somewhere, it was connected to the internet, and it was winter, and they couldn't heat their homes just what you've always wanted. Okay. And then people worry about you know, cyber crime and so on, protection against fraud, cyber spying, cyber wars. So these are some of the issues here. Some recent events, okay, this is sort of an old list, but it doesn't matter, that, you, know, like you just have to read the paper every, you know, every day, and there's gonna be another cyber incident where it's, in which millions of your records are, have now been, you know, some companies' records have now been disclosed on, on the internet and are now for sale or are available to the Chinese, okay? For example, did you know that 23andMe genome sequencing is done in China, okay? And guess who has all that data on the genomes of Americans? It's an interesting question. What might the Chinese want to do with that, okay? Um, Lots of stuff, lots of stuff that, that people are worried about. Okay? And you just re have to read this every day. Okay. That's cyberspace, right? It's everything. It's everything electronic. To first order, everything, is, everything electronic is connected. Uh, it, it, it's your power generation station. It's your fridge. Uh, it's your, you know, I mean, just two weeks ago, you can buy a pair of Nikes, sneakers, right? That, you can, that are self-lacing. They have a motor in them and a Bluetooth sensor on them. Okay? And you can tighten or loosen your shoes with a Bluetooth attached to your smartphone. Okay? I mean, $350. Okay? Now, so imagine, you know, so I wonder what happens when, as a friend of mine said, what happens if somebody hacks into it and it starts tightening and tightening and tightening some more? Talk about tight shoes, right? Um, anyway. And most importantly on, on, on this picture, uh, there's information, because the information is a part of cyberspace too, right? It's, it's your information. Okay. What is cybersecurity? Cybersecurity basically says it's technologies, processes, and policies, that's the important part, okay, uh, that mitigate the negative impact of events in cyberspace resulting from deliberate actions by a bad guy. Now, you have to say, the policy issues are, whose cyberspace? Is it yours? Is it the Russians? Is it the NSA's? Is it Target? Is it Anthem? Um, what's negative impact, right? What counts as negative impact? If your records, if, if your personal records are compromised, um, that's bad for you. But I want to compromise the personal records of bank robbers, you know, of, of criminals. That's a good thing, 
Right? I want to be able to get into their communications and find out what they've been doing. And spies and terrorists, I want to be able to do that. So, you know, and who's a bad guy anyway, right? We sort of, for all of us, we have some idea of it, but, you know, not everybody shares our view of it. So, you know, I, I, I'm perfectly willing to call the Chinese intelligence services the bad guys, okay? But I'm sure the Chinese don't think that. So these, notice all these are policy issues. None of these are technology issues, right? They're all policy issues. And of course, there's a whole bunch of things that are not technology. Everybody in cybersecurity wants a new magic widget to make them safe. Well, there's economics. For example, if you have the best cybersecurity widget in the world and nobody uses it because it's too expensive or it's too inconvenient to use, it's useless. That's not a question of technology, that's a question of, of economics and the psychology of it and whether or not the organization is, won't require you to use it and, and, and so on. Okay. I know how to build a perfectly secure computer, absolutely secure. I put, a, put it in a sealed metal box, right? Nothing goes in, nothing goes out. Perfectly secure, right? Useless, but perfectly secure. Now I take away the, the outside of it, I take away the box. Now it's useful, but it's now potentially insecure. Why? Because I want to put information into it, which includes both the data and the programs that you put into it, and you get information out. That's how, that's how come it's useful. But notice, you have to decide whether the information that you're putting in is good. Good is a judgment. Machines can't make that judgment perfectly. You have to make, and even you can't make the judgment perfectly, or at least certainly I can't. So now I've potentially opened myself up to the world. That's fundamentally why cybersecurity is a problem. Okay? Because you make judgments about what's good and what's bad, and sometimes those judgments are wrong. Okay? Fundamental primer on the internet. That's the internet, okay? All those little dots in there are nodes. They're, those are essentially computers. And all those lines in between are essentially fiber optic cables or wireless links or something that enable communication between the nodes. And the whole design philosophy of the internet is to move information from one node to another node and forget about what's in between. What's in between is the network. It transports information from A to B, and it can be any information you want. It can be your email to your grandchild. It can be a financial transaction. It can be child pornography. It can be blueprints stolen. It can be um, anything you want, okay? Any good information or bad information that you want. The internet is designed to transport all of it, just like a telephone system is designed to transmit any content that you want. The telephone network doesn't do any censorship. Right? The internet is designed not to do any censorship. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's a different question. But that's the way it was designed. And in fact, that, it was meant as a kind of a minimal regulation kind of a place. No regulations on content. Just get the information from A to B in the best way possible, most efficient way possible. Now, there are people who, are, who have and want to continue to change the basic design for a variety of reasons, which are understandable. For example, maybe you want to put security in the middle, keep bad stuff from going around. But then again, somebody has to decide. Here are some bad things that can happen. In the business, we usually talk about compromises of integrity, data, and availability. 
compromise availability. You can't get to the website that you want to. Compromise of confidentiality. Your private letters are read, or your private financial correspondence. Integrity. Somebody rewrites your medical records so that you now have a different blood type in it, or puts in an allergy to a medication that you don't have, or takes off an allergy that you do have. Okay. In the, the way we talk about it, attacks compromise uh, integrity and availability, uh, confidentiality is, is spying. Notice, by the way, that spying is done surreptitiously so that if I steal information from, if I steal your financial information, you won't know it. If you do know it, you'll, you'll take attempts to, you know, to, to change your accounts or whatever. But if, you know, if you don't know it, then you don't. These are some of the bad things that can happen in practice when those bad things happen. You can steal money, you can compromise the operation of, of, of computers, you can take over physical devices that are connected to computers. Okay. You can damage public confidence in the electoral system. Here are some examples of undesirable cybersecurity. Okay. You know, you, terrorists using the internet for communications and recruiting. Um, stealing, in one nation stealing intellectual property uh, from another. Um, criminal causing steel, a massive damage, physical damage to a steel mill. Uh, a teenager defacing uh, a, 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 a site. Okay. Just browsing, the thing that I was doing when I was a hacker, was I was just sort of browsing around computers. I went to MIT, they had a culture of that. Okay. You were actually, people were actually encouraged to browse around computers that you didn't have authorized access to. In fact, if you got in in a way that they didn't know about, and you told them about it, they gave you a bottle of champagne, okay? Which is a good thing, it's the original bug bounty. They pay you to, figure, to, to, give, to tell them how to make their system better, okay? That doesn't work now, they don't do that now, I promise. Okay. Um, not all of these things are acts of war, but all of these things are bad. Who are the bad guys? There's a wide range of bad guys, okay? From the people, the, the, misguided, you know, the, mis, the misguided teenagers like me, okay, long, long time ago. I mean, what, then we, what we were looking for was bragging rights, okay? Um, all the way now to, down to major, major nation states. And to top it off, there are these firms that you can hire to conduct your hacking services for it. So you don't even have to conduct a cyber attack. All you need now is a stolen credit card and you can buy the services. You don't have to know anything about it. Just as I want this to happen, they say, okay, fine, give us the money, we'll do it for you. And there's a you know, business trade and people have reputations in that and all, all sorts of, there's even you know, you know, sort of five-star ratings for, company, for, for, for hacking firms. It's a real market. This is an important slide. People adapt. Okay. So in the, in the, this is from safe cracking. In the original days of safe cracking, there was a wooden box, and people, then, then the bad guys came with axes. Then they used to put them into metal boxes. Then they used to you drive wedges into the door. Okay. Then they used step doors so that you couldn't drive the wedge all the way in. Then they poured nitroglycerin in, okay, to, which would seep in. Then they put in very finely machined doors so that no liquid could get in. Then they resorted to kidnapping the owner of the safe, and so on, okay? So this business about you do something 
and the adversary adapts. You do something, the adversary adapts. That's been the constant story of the good guys versus the bad guys. The bad guys are very good at this stuff, okay? But this says, the lesson in this, there's no final solution to cybersecurity, right? It's never gonna be solved once and for all. There's always a battle. It's always a cat and mouse game, always. Why technology doesn't help much. Here's fundamentally the reason. Every security person tells you that complexity is the enemy of, a, of security. That is a more complicated system is harder to, is harder to, um, uh, to make secure. But we demand a lot out of our information technology. We want it to do everything. We always want it to do more. Easier, faster, more functionality. These are complex systems. Okay. And the problem is that we don't know how to restrain our appetite. We don't know how to stop. We're addicted to better information technology, and we don't know how to say no. It's not worth going there. Okay. Here's an example. Look at a web page. Okay. You enter the URL on top. And you get, the, you, know, you, you get the front page of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or anything else like that. Okay? Here's what's going on behind the scenes. This is the only thing I want you to take away from this chart is that it's a mess. Okay? Everything in there represents something that has to happen right. And it's amazing that the whole business works at all in under half a second. Right? I'll just point out there are three things that have to be done, three separate things that have to be done. You, the user, have to have a computer and set it up properly and get it, you know, and, and, you know, and get it to be able to receive a web page. The Times or the Wall Street Journal or whoever has to be able to put up a web page. And then all the stuff in between, the internet service provider has to get the web page, has to find out that you want that web page and has to deliver that web page to you. Those are three separate things. And all of those things, that's it's some... All of those boxes and circles is a place for something to screw up. There are only a few ways of making cybersecurity better. Okay? You can reduce the reliance on it. You can find out that you're being hacked. You can defend. You can uh, recover. Uh, you can conduct offensive operations for defensive purposes or to, or to smack them around. And I'll talk a little bit about these. Okay? You can reduce the reliance on information technology. Don't use a computer when you don't need it. I assure you, I do not want Bluetooth-enabled sneakers, okay? More to the point, why do I want an, a, a power generation station to be controlled via the internet? The answer to that is economics, it's cheaper. Do we want to accept the risk because it's cheaper of a power station going down? That's, an that's a policy question. Um, detection. It's better to know that you're being hacked than not to know. Okay? But then again, how do you know when you're being hacked? Okay? When Snowden took all of those files away from the NSA, he had every authorization needed to get them. He was an authorized user. He was a system administrator. System administrators are supposed to be able to move lots of files around. And he did. Wrong purpose, but he, he did, he acted within his, uh, the appropriate scope of his authorizations. Okay. That's a hard problem to detect. 
to defend. There are many things you can do to defend, okay? You can get better software. By the way, we know how to write highly secure software. The problem is that it costs 100 times more than what you would normally pay for it. Okay. That's tough to do. Okay. You can change the configurations to make, you know, make it secure, make a system secure rather than open. But of course, if you do that, you're going to make it, if you put in security, you're going to make it hard for legitimate users to use it. All of you people, we just talked about how you're kept out of your computers. I'm kept out of my computers, right? Because of security that I have to put in. If I put in security, I'm going to have, it's going to be uh, more inconvenient. Um, you can enforce safer user behavior, you know, sort of better passwords. Of course, what you do, you know, the rules for, for passwords are make them so complicated that you can't remember what they are and don't write them down. Right? That's what, that's, those are the rules that you get. Okay? That's really helpful. Right? And this has been true for 50 years. Okay. Recovery and resilience. All of you have, back, have, have computers. I hope that the one thing you do after this talk is you go home and back up your computers. Make sure that you have all of your important files backed up. You get take nothing away from this talk other than that, I will have earned my pay here. Okay. Back up your computers. Make sure that you have some facility in case, so that you can recover your files in case a, a lightning bolt hits your computer. Make sure you do that. If you've done that, and just one person here does that, I will, this has been a great, this will be a, a, a great day. Okay. But you, basically, you have to assume that something's going to go wrong. Okay? It's technology. Something will go wrong. Have you ever been to a session, a, you know, a presentation, where people use multiple computers? And there's always that two-minute or one-minute or two-minute or three-minute session at the beginning where they're fiddling around getting the PowerPoint to work when they change computers. I've seen that a thousand times. You must have seen that too. This is the nature of technology. It doesn't always work when it's supposed to. You have to take that into you. You have to act defensively. Okay. You can conduct offensive operations for defensive purposes. You can retaliate after the, the guy has come into you um, to try to impose a cost on him and to, to, to deter bad actions. You can try to disrupt him while it's in process. Uh, uh, you can try to you know, hit him before he attacks you. All of those things are hard to do, but those are some of the ways that you can do it. You can just sort of attack him, okay? And then you can attack him just because he's a bad guy. This is just go in there, smack him around a bit, okay? And so make him focus on defending himself rather than coming after you. He doesn't have to have done anything bad already, but you know he's going to. So just, you know, do something to him anyway. Um, there are a variety of things you can do. Uh, some of those th that I, I've you know, up described up there are things that the United States, number two there in particular, we do not gather intelligence on foreign companies for economic purposes. Okay. The Chinese, the Russians, essentially every other nation in the world does, we don't as a matter of, of, of law and, and policy. Okay. But, you know, we do, a lot of, we do a lot of the other things in there. And other people are doing them to us. We talked a little bit about how cybersecurity is more is more than just technology. There's economics. Economic matters a lot in this business. 
Okay? And I don't mean just the economics of uh, you know, how much something costs. I mean the incentives, which is uh, economics is a study of incentives, right, of, of, for behavior. What are the incentives driving behavior in cybersecurity? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's driving it. Everybody wants to be first to market for a product or a service. Everyone. That's a good thing, right? You want that. And, of course, we know that the most secure service is one that does nothing. You don't have to do anything. It'll be perfectly secure. So that's not going to sell on the market. So everything that you do in getting a new service out to be, or a product out to be first to market is to get something new out there, something better, something faster. You won't put any attention to cybersecurity unless you absolutely have to. That means the first thing that comes out to market is going to be insecure. Is this the right policy outcome? It's an interesting question. We could argue about that. Okay, so uh, there's uh, organization. You have to have people responsible for cybersecurity. You have to have your system constantly under test. People always have to be testing it, testing the, the, the cybersecurity in it, operationally, all the time. Okay. We have, this is a picture of cybersecurity over time. The bottom line is, where we are, is the good guys, okay? And over time, we have gotten better at cybersecurity. So our, cyber, our security right now is pretty good against the cyber threats of 10 or 15 years ago, okay? But the problem is the bad guys have also gotten better, and they've gotten better faster than we have. Okay? They've gotten better at attack than we have gotten better at, faster than we've gotten better at defense, okay? And there's a gap. There's what I call a part one gap and a part two gap. Part one consists of everybody doing what we know how to do. That is, the average level of cybersecurity of any party is not the best that could possibly be done, right? Because there's wide variation. So we know that everybody could do the best. Takes, you know, it takes effort, money, time, and so on, but everybody could be better. We know how to do that, technically. That's the job of economics and incentives and, and so on. Okay. Then there's still another part of the gap, which is research. That's the technical side. But everything below that, what I call part one, that's the economics and the policy side. Okay. Conclude here, cyber is never-ending battle. Okay. Permanently decisive solution, not to be in the future. So there, in that case, why bother? Well, there are f several reasons to why bother. You can deal with the low-level stuff. Um, and you, you, make the, you slow down the bad guy because the bad guys also use the simple stuff. Okay? If you force the bad guys to use the complicated, complex stuff, they can do less of it. So their threat to you is, uh, is lower. And maybe you can help out law enforcement in the end. Okay? Conclusion two is that cybersecurity is a matter of trade-offs. Right? And we want other things too. Cybersecurity is a good thing, but we want other things. Fast innovation, convenience, interoperability, all those things. You want your systems to be easy to use, and you want security, and you can't have both. That's the problem. Um, lots of competing priorities. That's the recipe for reactive policymaking. Whatever is the problem of the day on the front page of, of, of the Washington Post, that's what Washington is going to focus on. And so the, the result is that the support for preventing disaster is much less than the support for responding to a disaster. Okay? And knowing how to respond is hard. 
We know that there are foreign nations that are, that are after us. By the way, all these slides will be made, can be made available. Just ask somebody and we'll send them to you if you're interested in, in, in this. Okay. We, can, we can send out, um, uh, we can respond diplomatically, we can respond economically uh, to, to, to the bad guys. We can do it with intelligence. I mean, for example, we could, embarrass, we, we could um, uh, you know, steal a billion dollars of Vladimir Putin's money. Okay. I mean, that's been thought about. Haven't done it yet, but you know, that's been thought about in, 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 in policy circles. Um, whether it's a good idea or not, it's an interesting question. All of these things, all of these things suffer from, you know, law enforcement, military actions, all of these things face the following question. Because you don't get the last move. If you respond to them, they're going to respond to you. And are you going to take it? So doesn't this set up an escalation cycle? And if you set up an escalation cycle, where does it stop? That means you have to be willing to go to the mat. And so far, we haven't been willing to go to the mat. You have to be willing to take more risk. Okay? The Obama administration was completely risk-averse in this, in this domain. This administration seems to be less risk-averse, more risk-acceptant, and that means that we're going to perhaps see whether or not this, will, this new strategy will work. I have to say, personally, as a scholar and an analyst of this, I'm really worried about it. But I also freely acknowledge that the old policy of restraint didn't work. So what are we going to do? Not restraint didn't work, maybe non-restraint will. I don't like it, I think it's dangerous, I hate it, but maybe it's the right thing to do. By the way, that's, a lot, that's the answer to a lot of policy problems, right? I don't like it, I hate it, but that's what we have to do. Okay, a word about Russia and information warfare in the elections, which of course has been in the news. The, the Russian information warfare uh, against us has been not that, you know, the main consequence is not that it'll influence the election and the outcome of the election. There have been arguments about it one way or another. I think they're, you know, right now they're inconclusive. Okay. But I do know that what the Russians did was they, they were able to raise the level of political polarization in the United States. Okay. Um, and, and, that's, and, and if Clinton had won, we would still be seeing a lot of, a, a lot of this. Okay. So there more, more, pol more political polarization was in the cards. Okay. It's easier to create, uh, to, you know, to, to destroy something than it is to create a, co a coherent alternative. Russian information warfare isn't enabled by cyber means, is not ho is hostile, but it's not warfare in any sense that we recognize the term. Okay. Uh, Sun Tzu said that the uh, supreme war art of war is to uh, subdue the enemy without fighting, and that's their goal uh, in this. It damages truth, confidence, um, knowledge, rather than physical or even digital artifacts. Okay. And it's not cyber war in the sense that we usually talk about it. Cyber war is hacking computers. Cyber-enabled information war is hacking people's minds through the internet. That's a big difference. So on the left are all of the things that you get with cyber, high connectivity, uh, anonymity, many-to-many um, uh, -many communications. Everybody has a big megaphone on the internet now. Everybody, including people you don't like. Uh, information passes through national borders. So you get a lot of other things, uh, 
yes, it's true that we've had information warfare since biblical times. But now, information technology has increased the volume and velocity of information so much that you can have all kinds of effects that you didn't have before. Um, you didn't have the ability for everybody to, to talk loudly to everybody else. Okay. You used to have, have a lot of money to, to make a, uh, a, a big splash. You don't need that anymore. All you now, now need is a bunch of uh, Twitter accounts and, and, and sophisticated web pages and, and, and so on that anybody can build. I'm coming soon. Do I have the first? I get a. I press the button. Every time I say something these days, it gets badly reported by the fake news media like you guys. Okay. That one is Trump. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time, even if they would never say those things. Both of those are totally faked. The first clip, the sound clip of Trump was from an AI, an AI algorithm. And this clip of Obama was totally fake. I mean, it's on YouTube. It's made by a guy by the name of Jordan Peele. Okay. And so if you think political discourse has been bad and poisonous up until now, just wait until you see all kinds of videos and audios of various political candidates saying things that they never said, doing things that they never did. Okay? And then when you get video of, the, you know, of your opponent saying something that you know is real, that your opponent just says, nah, that's faked. What happens to evidence? I don't mean legal evidence necessarily, but I mean politically salient information. Okay. And there are no laws against this at this point, other than the usual laws about libel and, 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 and so on. And we all know how well, the, well those things work now to, 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 to curb misleading uh, political expression. So, I don't care what your partisanship is, okay? This is bad! And that's the future. Okay? So the summary of all of this, this is all critical. Okay? But there are no answers. There are no permanent answers to, to, to any of this. We don't have good policy in cybersecurity because of con conflicting interests. And we don't know how to deal with foreign information, foreign interference uh, in, a, in elections, or even domestic players of the, you know, on one side, Rachel doing it against, who was it, David? Uh, yeah, and, and, and the reverse, okay? We don't know it, you know, we, we don't know how to deal with that right now because we have a First Amendment. Okay? No, I like the First Amendment. It's a good thing, right? We want the First Amendment. But how do we deal with this in this environment? Anyway, so um, with that, let me uh, stop here. And, and if you want more information, Hoover has been a great place to work on these issues. There's lots of support um, uh, for it, uh, resources, intellectual uh, companionship and, and, and camaraderie. E lots of students out there who, they, the, the, the comment of, of, you know, about 
students being indoctrinated with one, one point of view, that is a concern. That, 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 is, that, that is true on campus. But you know, you come in and, and you get people, people come in. I have lots of students who, who take uh, reading courses with me and so on, um, and I expose them to other points of view. Okay? Some of them are damning for the Republicans. They, 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 you know, it comes out anti-Republican. There's no question about that. Some of them comes out anti-Democrat. There's also no, no question about that. So Hoover's a great place. So let me just add my less sophisticated plug to, uh, for, for support for Hoover to, the, to our last speaker. Anyway, so open for questions and comments. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.